Ah, friends, it's lovely to share with you. Now, let's face it, the book of Ezekiel is not a book of the Bible that we read a lot. It's easy to read it once and forget it. Um, And when someone just reads you a passage like Michelle has just read us, um, you do start scratching your head when you read about the prophet lying down for 390 days and cooking his bread over a flaming wad of human excrement, and you start to wonder, what is this doing in the Bible? I mean, at least the Bible is a very earthy and real book, isn't it? But believe it or not, for all its wild content, it has some very relevant messages for us today, and hopefully as we study this passage of Scripture over the next few minutes, the Lord will reveal them to us and make us better people for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... Thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that it gives us. We pray that we might live to make our lights shine in the world um, so that people will see your glory and turn to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now last week, Len told you about the backstory of uh, Ezekiel where God had basically designated him to be a watchman and warn the people of Israel about coming doom. This week, we get to study his message in a little more detail. Although the Israelites wouldn't so much have heard this message, they would have seen it. Now, this is a picture of Tim. Um, Tim is a worldwide artist and he travels around the world sitting on a plinth like this, showing off his tattooed back. Uh, This is when he was in the Mona uh, Art Gallery in Tasmania, which if any of you have ever been to it, it's very famous for its kinky and postmodern artwork. Now, Tim and his tattooed dorsal region is an ongoing artwork, I'm told. The work apparently was sold to a German art collector in 2008 for more than $250,000 Australian. That's no accounting for taste, is it? Um, But uh, And Tim now spends his life displaying his artwork as he goes around the world. Believe it or not, this artwork isn't finished because the work will only be finished when Tim dies and the tattoo is handed over to its owner. I have no idea in what shape. Now this is what the world calls performance art. I do remember an occasion when my own son who studied art was involved in the, um, uh, I've forgotten what the name of that uh, is, uh, um, there's an art festival that happens every couple of years um, in the city and his job was to paint a wall every half an hour and it was black and then they'd get out the white paint and paint it white and it changed each day. There's another piece of artwork where, um, what's her name, John Lennon's wife, Yoko Ono, has a telephone set up in the lounge room in an art gallery and every now and then she rings it and people will answer the phone and that apparently is art and it's very much part of because um, this is what the world of art calls performance art. In this postmodern era, fine art has changed from being mere drawings and painting on canvas to videos and even live performances. Well, it's not really new, because God told the prophet Ezekiel in 585 BC to warn the now exiled Israeli tribes who were living under the threat of invasion by the Babylonians, that if they didn't mend their ways, they would face severe judgment. And the Israelites had already been warned with words and had proven that they weren't ready to listen. So this time, God tells Ezekiel to do something visual that might make a greater impact. So let's go back and just read that uh, a bit of this as we go and belt through the chapter as it was read to us. Now, son of man, take a block of clay and put it in front of you and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. 
then lay siege to it, erect siege works against it, build a ramp up to it and set up camps against it and put battering rams around it. So you might imagine in your mind, Ezekiel is there uh, with something that looks the equivalent of a half millennium BC version of clay Lego. And he builds this scale model of the city of Jerusalem. Now the city of Jerusalem to the people of Israel was about the most magnificent and impressive thing that you could imagine. And then God goes on to tell him, take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege and you will besiege it and it will be a sign for the people of Israel. Ezekiel is one of the exiles of Israel and he's living in Babylon himself because uh, uh, when the Babylonians, who were the biggest rulers of the time, had invaded Israel for the first time, they carried off Many of the population and many Israelites now lived as exiles, although they were allowed to uh, keep the magnificent temple and they were allowed to keep the whole city of David, Jerusalem, but their king was replaced with a relative who was much more compliant to the Babylonians. But according to Ezekiel, um, things are about to get much worse. This occurs, or Ezekiel's message occurs about five years before Jerusalem is eventually destroyed. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was about to lay siege to Jerusalem for within two years. What had happened is the king of Jerusalem decided to make an alliance with uh, the, the absolute enemies of the Babylonians, the Egyptians. And he made an alliance with Pharaoh that made King, king Nebuchadnezzar very angry. So he sent hundreds and thousands of troops to surround Israel. And they stayed there for two years, and during the siege, the people of Israel had nothing to eat. And uh, the scene is described in the Book of Kings and the Book of Lamentations, where basically even the animals that they had uh, had nothing to drink and they had no food to give to their children. And after enduring this for three years, they marched on the city and burnt the city to the ground, destroying the Temple of Solomon the city walls and removing all of its priceless gold contents. The people of Israel five years before that were living in denial. While they had experienced military defeats, they were even living under Babylonian control. They believed that the city of Jerusalem, which had stood for centuries, was too good to be defeated. It had been established by David. It's the place where God lived. They didn't think that anything could possibly destroy it and take it. However, God is now sending them a message to the hard-hearted Jewish exiles living in Babylon through Ezekiel and through the model that he orders Ezekiel to build. And Ezekiel is acting a bit like a sculptor. As people walk past, they would stop and be intrigued and ask questions. Hey, Ezekiel, that might be art, but what does it mean? And Ezekiel would tell them that the frying pan, for example, represented the furnace of God's wrath that was shortly to be turned against Jerusalem. And then God said to Ezekiel, lie on your left side and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. It would appear if you're going to be a prophet of God, life can get very hard because that's not where it ends. God says you are to bear the sin for a number of days. Now you're to bear the sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I've assigned you the number of days to be 390 you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. 
Now, as you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, or if you didn't know, Israel was once one country, it became divided, and the northern tribes called themselves a different country name, and they called themselves Israel. Uh, They were, in fact, uh, they rebelled against God, the country was defeated, and all of its population, the 10 tribes that made it up, were distributed across the world and lost. To represent their sin, Ezekiel had to lie on his side for 390 days. That's a really long time. That's more than a year. And he didn't, though. He didn't lie down for 24-7. He would have, of course, got up. But uh, for quite a part of the day, he would have been found bound up and lying on his side. Now, if you're an Israelite in exile, you go past this prophet. Um, He's obviously set himself up publicly, and you can see that he's lying down. This is going to make people talk. And it might even make an impact. But that's not all. After he had finished lying down for 390 days, God says, lie down again, this time on your right side and bear the sin of the people of Judah. That's the other country that made up Israel. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. So Ezekiel keeps going for another 40 days from verse 7. Then he says, turn your face towards the siege of Jerusalem and with bared arm prophesy against her. I'll tie you up with ropes so you can't turn from one side to the other until you've finished all the days of your siege. The people would have walked past and said, what does this mean? What does it symbolise? And they would have realised that he was there for a really long time. And some of them might have in fact had their consciences touched and said, we have really sinned against the Lord for a long time. No doubt they'd have asked Ezekiel questions and he would have explained what it all meant. Now we come to how Ezekiel was to feed himself. And this is where, of course, it gets incredibly bizarre. Um, Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt. Well, that's not exactly an incredibly wide diet, but that's what Ezekiel is to eat for more than a year. Put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. You would eat it during the 390 days you lie on your side. Weigh out 20 shekels of food to eat each day and eat it at set times. Also measure out a sixth of a hymn of water and drink it at set times. Eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread. Bake it on the, in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. Now my Bible study group got busy with their uh, dictionaries the last time we met. And uh, last Tuesday night, and they worked out that a hin of water was about a litre. Sorry, it was about six litres, so he had to drink a sixth, so that he drank a litre of oil and then ate this bread, which he cooked, was meant to cook in human poo. Um, Now, cooking with poo, what could be more repulsive than that? Why was he doing that? Well, Ezekiel was warning the people that when they came under siege in two years' time, they were going to be forced to doing some very revolting things. In verse 13, the Lord says, In this way the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. Now, friends, I look around the place and I see many of you are either recent uh, parents or recent grandparents, and you, of course, are already familiar with having your lives up to your armpits and poo, and this probably doesn't sound very revolting. Um, my uh, daughter-in-law sent me a picture of my grandson, Lockie, once. He was covered in what I thought was pumpkin soup, but it <laughs> wasn't. 
And he did that in the car, and she had to drive for an hour while he was in that state. Um, Now, Ezekiel doesn't find this particularly attractive proposition either, and he pushes back. He says, Lord, I've never defiled myself. From my youth until now, I've never eaten anything found dead or torn by wild animals. No impure meat has ever entered my mouth. Whilst this may seem common to some of us, this was an incredible offence to Ezekiel. Um, He had been a faithful Jew, and Jews don't deal in faecal matter. Um, they're pure. They wash every day before meals, um, that they, or even when they've travelled some distance. So the Lord makes a concession to Ezekiel. He says, very well, I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. Well, that's a big deal, isn't it? No. Um, then he said to me, Ezekiel said, son of man, I'm about to cut off the food supply in Jerusalem. Now it's going to start getting serious. The people will eat rationed food in anxiety and drink rationed water in despair. Just like Ezekiel was doing as he was lying down. For food and water will be scarce. They will be appalled at the sight of each other and will waste away because of their sin. Just like Ezekiel, the people of Judah will waste away on limited rations. Now this is an incredibly powerful living illustration of what God thinks about sin And what is the extent of his judgment? Ezekiel isn't talking about some future judgment that's coming in the afterlife. This is a judgment that many of the people who are seeing him act out this play are going to see and experience as their great city is besieged and destroyed because of their sin and their ancestors' sin. Now it's amazing how thick-skinned we can all become and how we can deceive our hearts about judgment. We hear Jesus talk about the day of judgment. Jesus on many occasions spoke about hell, saying it would be about weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's, in fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than any other person in the Bible. We hear about hell and we carry on as if it's never going to happen, as if it's not real. We go to funerals and we prefer to hope for the best. He was a good guy. I'm sure God will accept him. Um, They didn't make Jesus as their Lord, but, you know, if I was God, I'd let him into heaven. That's what we sometimes deceive ourselves with. And you can see how deceptive our hearts can sometimes be. Jesus spoke very clearly about the reality of judgment and hell, and yet we try and assuage our conscience and make ourselves feel better by pretending that it isn't real. The people in exile were just the same. You just really wonder how thick-skinned these people must have been. They're already in exile. They've faced military defeats. They didn't get the message. God gave them repeated warnings to turn back or they wouldn't go into exile or they'd go into exile. They didn't and so they went into exile. Now the next stage of judgment is going to come upon them. Even though they had experienced judgment in their own lives, they continued to live in denial. This denial about judgment and the horror of sin is as old as sin itself. Remember back to the Garden of Eden. Remember when Eve was being tempted, the serpent said to her, you will not die. What he was saying in common language was, what God said about judgment isn't true. He doesn't really mean it. It's not going to happen. And then it did. The temptation to deny the reality of judgment is as old as sin itself 
It persisted in Ezekiel's day and it continues in ours. Even though we don't have a prophet lying down with a model and cooking bread um, over a pile of dung, we have equally graphic warnings of the extent of God's judgment happening seemingly at random all over the world. Look at the pictures we're looking at all this week of happening in India. In Romans 1, Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed. Now note this passage doesn't say will be revealed. It says the wrath of God is being revealed in our world. And it's against all the wickedness and godlessness of people who suppress the truth of God. How is it being revealed? Well, it's revealed because our world has gone amuck because God has allowed us to and handed it over to us as sinful people and things constantly goes wrong. And as wrong as they are, they cry out for someone to put them right. In chapter 13 of Luke's Gospel, we read about how Jesus was questioned during his ministry about two disasters that happened in his day that must have been well known. One of them was man-made, the other was sort of natural. The natural one was when a tower in the city of Siloam fell and crushed many people. It seemed to be a seemingly a random act of God. And the question then was, were the victims of that natural disaster somehow guiltier than the other people who were not killed? Well, Pilate sent some soldiers into the temple to slaughter people. And there were some Galileans that happened to be worshipping there at the time when the soldiers arrived and they were killed. The question again asked of Jesus was, were they guiltier than the others because they were killed in this way? Jesus didn't say that they were guiltier than the others. He turned to the people who asked him that question. He says, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Um, In other words, Jesus agreed with Paul that the wrath of God is being revealed and there is a sense in which natural disasters and other things that happen in this world are a precursor. They're showing us something of what God's judgment will be like. People who are killed in disasters or hurt in these things aren't guiltier than the rest of us. Some of them are very innocent, but these things can serve to remind us that God's judgment is real and there is no escape. We need to repent and get our lives in order accordingly. The message from Ezekiel also reminds us that there is an appropriate time to warn others as well. This can often make us uncomfortable. Friends, I have many non-Christian friends and when I talk to them about Christ, I usually talk to them in terms like this, you know, you should consider Jesus. He's a great option. Um, It doesn't quite have the same force when I say that than if I was to say there's a judgment coming and you're part of it and you need to turn and repent. I must confess that I too am trying to find a good way to explain that to people who don't share the same worldview as me. But that is the message and of course it's also true that Jesus has come to save us from that judgment. And if you've not made your peace with judgment, I, with Jesus, I urge you to do so, because there's no reason for any of this to happen to us. We can be saved from it by turning to Christ. Now, what does all of this mean for us? That's a long time ago. Um, what's Ezekiel's message for us? Well, as Ezekiel found, getting out God's message can be hard and involve great personal cost. As a result, We should not only spare a thought for the people who do that every day, we should probably help them out in whatever way we can. The other message is that God finds sin ugly. If you think eating bread cooked over poo is revolting, then think of that as a visual for what our sin looks like to God. It's way more ugly and even more revolting. 
and we should have less to do with sin. It should remind us of how desperate we are and how much we need God's help to be restored. Finally, we Christians who know and love Jesus are also called, like Ezekiel, to do a bit of performance art ourselves. Our lives are meant to be a performance piece before the world to attract others to Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Friends, look around you today. They are the people we are meant to love each other and do it so demonstrably that other people will see us and know that God is real. Sometimes Ezekiel, no doubt, found that showing that kind of love involves sacrifice and effort and humility. But the command stands the same. We are to love each other and do it wholeheartedly. And friends, there are many love-starved people that come to Christ because they see and experience unconditional, sacrificial, Jesus-inspired love. I am one of them. I wasn't brought up in a Christian family. I knew about Christ culturally. But it wasn't until I lived with a Christian family and saw how they loved each other that I wanted to be a part of that and turn to Christ. Similarly, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 that they should let their light shine, our message through the verse of the day. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they stick it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, you'll notice that Jesus specifically mentioned good deeds. And of course, words are important, but what we do is also important, and Jesus went to the trouble of showing that that shows God's light to the world. Friends, this week, I want you to think about Ezekiel, lying on his side for days on end to remind people about God's judgment and cooking his dinner over a poo-fueled stove. And be grateful that you have not been called to do that. <laughs> but you have been called to a different piece of equally important performance art. We are to love one another and do good deeds in the community to show other people what God's love is like. So for the course of the next week, think about that and see what we can do to at least show the world Christ's love and maybe more people will be coming to join us next Sunday. Thanks for the chance to share that with you.